Welcome back to another episode of the Way Forward Podcast with your host, Alex Zek. This episode I had on my friends from Alphabetic, Dr. Bear Londo and Mike Winter. Two of my favorite people to talk to. They get it across the spectrum of health, consciousness, oneness, uh, freeing yourself from the corrupt, corrupt legal and financial system, navigating uh, reality as a free man or woman. Two very tapped in human beings that are just so kind and loving and this conversation was amazing and kind of went all over the place in the best way. We talked about a lot of solutions for people who are looking for them right now. And that is really, really, really important because that's what we need to be focusing on. So I think you'll really enjoy this episode. I know I did really, really love these guys, really appreciate them. They're doing such amazing work in this world and really embodying what it means to be free. So without further ado, here's the episode with the guys from Alphabetic. Soma Vedic Technologies. I know I'm pretty sensitive to EMFs, and I have two kids and a wife who are highly sensitive to EMF exposure. We've been using Soma Vedic's Medic Green Ultra, and we can definitely feel the difference. I know I personally feel less brain fog, better focus, and a decrease in general anxiety levels that I typically feel when around Wi-Fi or electronic devices for long periods of time. Soma Vedic is based on controlled release of energy from precious and semi-precious gemstones and minerals and creates a 360-degree coherent field in your home or office with a radius of 100 feet in all directions. It does not block EMFs, but works on the body to improve various biomarkers we know EMFs negatively affect, such as blood pressure, heart rate variability, and blood oxygen levels. Soma Vedic is even shown in a recent published study to regenerate cells after EMF radiation exposure. This leads to a palpable improvement of our overall well-being, affecting the quality of our sleep, energy levels, focus, and productivity. In addition, Soma Vedic also structures water, which leads to better absorption of water, therefore more effective hydration. The thing that was most appealing to me was how much Soma Vedic's technology is backed by actual science and data, which can be found on their website. If you would like to try Soma Vedic with their 60-day money-back guarantee, visit www.somavedic.com for more information and type in code TWF at checkout for 10% off your order. Again, that's www.somavedic.com and enter code TWF at checkout for 10% off your order. Clean, non-toxic, plant-based, and made in California. Earth source skin and body care that elevates your vibe. We feel best when we're living clean and simple with products that fit our conscious lifestyle. The average hair product has over 30 ingredients, consisting primarily of alcohols, toxins, and other junk. Jack Henry's best-selling clay pomade has a total of four ingredients, organic French lavender and MCT oil, beeswax, and bentonite clay. These ingredients nourish your hair and scalp while giving your hair an all-day hold, humidity and sweat-resistant while adding thickness, texture, and volume. Visit jackhenry.co and enter promo code TWF at checkout for 20% off your order. My uh, my Alpha Vedic fellows, 
Thank you for joining me. I had to, I had to return the favor because I had such a fun conversation with you guys on your podcast and so kind of you to invite me to join you guys and, and chill with you and talk about really whatever. Um, so thank you for, for, for joining me. Um, I want to start by asking you the, actually, I want to start with this first, just because like bear, I feel like you're a Renaissance man and that like you've done literally everything. Like I remember a long time ago, I looked up your bio and I was like, how could he have possibly done all the things that he's done? <laughs> so what led you to becoming a bioterrain, uh, physician and like your journey of coming to that? I mean, you were a, you were a football player, um, on scholarship, you had a 4.0 GPA and you were a pre law and pre-med student at the same time. You're an avid surfer. Um, what led you to like becoming the person that you are right now? And then how did you meet Mike? Let's, let's start with that story. <laughs> okay. I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, thanks for having me on, by the way. And uh, you were a most popular guest on our podcast. People loved that episode. So thank you for being on with us as well. Uh, you know, everything for me evolved around sports. When I was a kid, I just played every sport, anything with a ball I loved and, High school, I actually, uh, you know, played four sports, uh, basketball, baseball, football, and track, and uh, then got scholarships to college for it and everything. And, you know, my one goal was just to play sports forever, you know, and possibly professionally. But then once I got in uh, college, I took a little bit of an academic turn. And, um, and as I, you know, followed studies uh, more in the medical line in pre-med studies, the whole goal was to really understand more about the human body because I was a little bit more scientifically oriented with my training. And so I was always trying to get that edge. And I just, you know, got a kick out of knowing how things work. So I was studying nutrition and all those things. This is back in the 60s before it was fashionable. And um, so when I finally decided to go into, uh, you know, medicine as a profession, I, I thought I'd be a sports doctor, orthopedic type of guy. And um, so that's, that's what got me going there. Um, I, I had to stay eligible another year of football, and I was already through with my undergraduate work. So I got a graduate degree in psychology, which I finished uh, my last season of uh, eligibility. And uh, so I had the, the psychology and then uh, the, the university where I was at had great skiing nearby. So I decided to stay there a little longer. I got a teaching gig at the university there and uh, then finally gave up and, you know, decided, OK, time to pursue the career. And then I went back and did the medicine. And uh, at the time, Stanford uh, was offering this uh, unique uh, new program they wanted to put out beyond paramedics. Uh, with like e full ER skills and and I uh, you know applied I got accepted so it's a you know pretty good little uh, program uh, pretty pretty tough very challenging and they really grilled you you know because they knew you'd be out there doing some intense things under adverse circumstances so I did that for a few years uh, actually out of the fire department. And then um, after that, uh, about five years later, I decided, okay, I think I got what I want out of medicine. I got some good mash skills and I decided to uh, continue on more in a natural uh, sort of orientation because, you know, that's really where I was at the time. So I went to naturopathic college for four years and um, 
and followed that with chiropractic college. Uh, fortunately, I didn't have to do the whole four years of chiropractic college because I had a lot of the, you know, the the hours already done in the other schools I did. So I finished. Do you know of any other work. MDs, MDs, NDs, and DCs all in one? Well, I wasn't at Stanford. I didn't get an MD. I was okay. at MICP, which is a different certification. Got so it. I got okay. that on a conventional side. Then I did the naturopath. But the, the reason why I did the DC, because I'm really at heart more of a naturopath, more, you know, it's more of an eclectic uh, type of doctor. Um, in California, where I was at the time, they didn't license naturopaths. So I didn't even sit in on my boards after school. I just went to chiropractic college so I could get an alternative license. It would be good in every state. And that's uh, how I got to where I'm at. And, and along the way, I was pretty involved and still involved in the martial arts. And that was, you know, kind of filled up the void after I quit formal sports. But it also added uh, or contributed a lot to my orientation because um, it led to my interest in acupuncture and a lot of, uh, the Asian, uh, healing modalities that, you know, I later studied and, you know, formally trained in. So that's my life story. <laughs> so Mike, so your background, you have, you have somewhat of a sports background too. You grew up playing sports and both of you sort of had an affinity for athletics and, and health. So for you, you were also extremely tech savvy too, though, right? And like, you always had just uh, wanting to know like how things work with regards to technology. So what was your background? And then let's meet in the middle. How did you two meet each other and come to form Alpha Vedic? Yeah, no, I was, a, I guess, a very eclectic background uh, coming from, yeah, like I was the kid that was always taking apart my dad's radio and trying to put it back together. And I've always had an interest in music as well. A lot of people don't know this, but I've been a professional underground house DJ for 20 years. And that started back when I was like six, seven or eight, um, playing in my dad's Casio and recording uh, to a tape deck while playing effects on different toys and doing like weird little mixtapes with remixes of the Casio with other stuff with like transformer sounds. And so I've always been just very much into dabbling with um, technology with music, which which is funny because that led me to be a DJ, um, but also involved with com the computer sciences uh, and also film. I was always the kid uh, in high school and even before that, sixth, seventh, eighth grade that had a video camera and was recording everything, making uh, independent little movies with my friends. Um, and then in high school, I don't know if you ever remember Jackass, which was that the <laughs> funny show on MTV. That was my favorite but, show growing up. That was like by okay, far my so favorite show. Okay, so I'm dating myself. But before Jackass, there was the, these snowboarding videos called Whiskey the whiskey videos. And that actually was a big influence on Jackass and was something that we were really into in high school because we were big into snowboarding and skating. I kind of came up in so SoCal in that scene. I was really big into street skating and snowboarding. And I was always the guy with the camera recording a snow skating in the down the down the uh, aisle in, in the grocery store, um, just doing little punk stuff because we didn't actually drink or do drugs. It was like we were kind of like took pride in the fact that we were not straight edge in the sense of like the straight edge punks, but we, we, I don't know, we just didn't get into that stuff. Instead, we like to prank people and be funny. So anyways, I got really into um, videography doing that. And that led to film school. I went to UC Santa Barbara and was a film major and a history major. And that took me into Hollywood and working in the independent side of film and television and in music. 
And then around 2008, when the economy dropped out, I started making building WordPress websites for friends that were producers that had independent production companies. And that's actually what really got me into the computer sciences was on the front end back in web development. And then fast forward a couple years, um, I'm good friends. One of my best buddies is Bear's son, Bryden Lando, who is a co-founder of Alpha Vedic. And he and I met DJing in the late 90s in Santa Barbara. He had some dope speakers these Sherwin Vegas that I would borrow at our club gigs. Uh, and um, through that, we became buddies and started DJing events uh, in Santa Barbara and a lot in LA. We ended up, we had a good decade run in Hollywood playing at different bars and clubs for celebrities and underground parties and fashion shows, et cetera. And that's where, how I met Bear. I remember, God, late 90s and Bryden had like kombucha and he had like this vortex thing. What was your perception water. on health at that time? though mike like where were you in in terms oh, of your... so on health i yeah. was not very dialed in on health i my i so my mom uh has been an rn her whole life actually ran hospitals was the acting ceo at uci medical center at one point so i came from a very traditional uh, allopathic uh, background except my father was always he, he, for where i get my conspiratorial side he's a very don't trust the government don't trust anything it's funny that they're still married because they're polar opposites. Wow. So I guess the whole opposites attract thing is a, is a real thing. So he's like very, I'm a constitutionalist. I'm, you know, he's the one that I always tell this story, gave me the creature from Jekyll Island. And when I was in like early college years, the famous book um, about the, the, the creation of the Fed. Mm -hmm. So he, he was always like taking Noni when that was popular back in the day, always following those like alternative trends. And Bear knows my father well, because my parents live here now. And so he was the alternative guy in my life. And then my mom was the one giving me flu shots when I came home from college that I didn't want, et cetera. And so when I met Bryden, though, it was like next level stuff in his, in his apartment in Hollywood. He had like a vortex, water vortex machine I'd wow. never seen before. And this was like, like way back know, when that's like a new, like almost a fad thing now, because like, it's yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's cool crazy and of course from from his father and mother who who were instilling this in him as a child so yeah he had like bee bee pollen i would take i would just go to his <laughs> house and like what is the new thing and he's like do this and this and this and drink aloe and blah 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 and i was like wow dude this is crazy so through him i started really developing a much more keen sense of what true health is and then i met bear god i don't even remember in santa barbara sometime in the early 2000s and then at his son's engagement party, we had a sit down uh, talk and, and uh, got more deep into things. I think I even brought up, hey, you know, Alex Jones and stuff like that. And he kind of laughed it off like, oh, we can go way deeper than that. So I was like, <laughs> OK, this guy knows what's up. And then we had we ended up just having like long, like two, three hour phone conversations continually in the 2000s about you name it. And then uh, fast forward, we ended up creating, uh, ended up joining uh, on Alpha Vedic and the rest is history. And I came in as the tech guy. So I had done so much work on web and stuff that I, you know, I came on and developed the website and then helped with uh, all the other stuff we do on the tech side. So that's kind of where we are now. And, and really Bear has been a massive mentor to me for going on almost 20 years now in my health uh, journey. So I'm quite blessed. Bear, I want to ask you real quick, because it just like popped up in my mind. At what point, I mean, obviously you're like, you're specialized in bioterrain, but at what point did you know in your uh, research or you coming to understand that that terrain theory was the actual truth and that germ theory was false? 
So when I was um, still a naturopathic college, I was doing seminars in something called applied kinesiology. And the founder of applied kinesiology was a brilliant doctor, George Goodhart, who became a good friend. Um, I, I uh, became very um, involved in, in kinesiology and then followed it to the next level, something we call clinical kinesiology. And it was first time it was recognized in the West that uh, we were making new inroads into neurology. It's not like the kind of muscle testing you see going on in health food stores. This is a real science. And uh, doctors from all over the world started coming over and learning from us. And uh, some of the doctors overseas were old timers in the original biotrain medicine circles that, you know, were, you know, walking around with the living icons and, uh, you know, working with them that uh, were really the pioneers of biotrain medicine, or at least the second tier. And so that's how I was introduced into biotrain medicine. And, you know, it just made sense. And I still default back to my sports background, uh, may sound funny, but, you know, when you really use your body at a high level and train it every day and experiment with diets and all sorts of things, you, you have a different relationship with your body. And I realized, well, my body kind of does whatever I tell it to do. And, you know, uh, one thing after I got a little more advanced at the end of my college career, uh, I noticed I every year I'd be real methodical about it. I'd get down on paper my training program for whatever time of the off season, you know, on season. Uh, you know, I had it all broken down in the four segments of the year with different specialized training. And I'd put it on paper and then I noticed my body would actually start doing the shift even before I got to the Whoa. gym or the track, you know, running 440s. Uh, and it's, it hit me as peculiar. It's like, this is weird because it used to take me a few months into the training just to start to, uh, you know, make the shift into the strength part of the season or whatever. But it just started happening more immediately. Then some light bulbs came on and said, wow, I think my mind has something to do with this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just became really convinced that not only is, uh, you know, the state of your ecology uh, the most important thing for your health, but also we have a lot more to say just about, uh, you know, forming healthy attitudes and really proactive attitudes that I think do more than all the diet workouts and everything put together. So biotrain medicine means much more than just, you know, microbes and all the things that we've gotten into big debates about lately with all this nonsense going on out there. Yeah, I remember, I remember when, God, over maybe 12, 13 years ago, I think it was like the MERS or the SARS or whatever the, the trendy scare flu of the season was. It happened every year, so to, it's one of, the, one of the many. Yeah, right? swine, bird, whatever animal you want to pick. <laughs> and, and I was talking to Bear and I was like freaking out. You know, they got to me. I was like, I think I was, you know, some of the, by being a conspiracy researcher like myself, you know, sometimes that can lead you wrong down the wrong channels. Right. And I mean, it's like what happened with COVID though. I've talked with you about this, Mike, where it's like, yep. at first I thought like, Oh my God, they succeeded. Like this is, this is real. This, they created something yep. in the lab. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I fell for that a little bit too, even with all my knowledge, cause it just with, from the Wuhan footage. Um, but you know, so anyways, I'm talking to bear and, uh, and he's like, what do you mean? He's, uh, he's like, don't you know, viruses aren't real and, and germs don't make you sick. And I'm like, what? 
And we had never this gone is, down. This is a long time ago, right? This is like this is like over 10 years ago. mid 2000s. Okay. So maybe 2005, 2006, I don't know. 2007, 2008. I don't know. It's blurry at this point, but I was blown away. And I, and I asked all the classical questions, you know, what about measles? What about this? And we had maybe had a two, two and a half hour conversation. And I talk about mega truth drop. Yeah. Such a mega truth drop that I was dizzy from it all because my whole life I was taught to be afraid of bacteria and, and viruses. And I was a victim of it. I I've told this many times, but um, very much like Sayer G had a very similar story. I was a victim of strep throat my whole childhood, which probably now through my research is probably going back to the original um, uh, vaccines I got, inoculations I got as a child. Um, but um, my mom coming from a very traditional background in medicine, of course, had me on penicillin every time. And I got to the point where every year I got strep throat. And every year I would um, run right to the doctor and ask for the antibiotics because that's what seemed to give me relief. And I was abusing antibiotics really. And I was causing massive, massive problems obviously in my terrain, which I had no clue about. So I had all these issues with my gut and just very unhealthy. And um, you know, until Bear really explained how the, the ecology of not only just your gut biome, but how the bioterrain works, did I realize, wow, I'm doing everything wrong. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, bear dropped the two biggest truth bombs on me ever, which have become super trendy now, which is one germs don't make you sick. They're, you know, bacteria and vi viruses never been proven to exist. It's cell debris, et cetera. And then two, your name is not who you are. It's a fiction, your birth certificate and the all caps, that whole thing. He dropped that on me like 12 years ago, 13 years ago too. And I was like, what? And he's like, that whole thing's fiction. And I need to explain the corporation. And I was like, what is going on in this world? So yeah. Um, Bear, how did you come to like, that's, it's so funny. You said that Mike too, like, Oh, you, you approach him like, Oh, Alex Jones stuff. And bears like, yeah, like it's, it's way, way, way deeper than that, buddy. That's <laughs> yeah. like surface level for anyone who's just coming into this space for the first time type of stuff. So, so bear, how did you come to like, I guess let's start with the status correction thing. Cause I know like both of you are very big, on not only decentralization, but I guess status correction, getting into the private realm, becoming a, I like to call it standing as a man or as a woman in this reality and stop uh, applying those fictitious labels and titles to yourself that we are subject to in this reality. So how did you come to that understanding? And I guess the part two of that is how does Alpha Vedic incorporate that into what you guys are about? Okay. Um, I began, well, the, the terrain theory, by the way, I started that in 1979. That's where I got my awakening, we'll say, as far as the germ theory and never looked back. And, and you know, I could tell a lot of stories about what convinced me. But uh, as far as the law part, in 1975, um, I wrote, read a book. It was called None Dare Call It Conspiracy by Gary Allen. And it's, it's like one of those seminal books on the topic, you know, where he was definitely one of the pioneers in the field. And it just, again, it, it rang some truth with me. So I really started uh, doing a lot of research, which I always enjoyed doing. I bought law books and I had a pre-law, you know, kind of major as well. And, um, you know, just started really investigating codes. I found out that these agencies were all bogus. I found out 
uh, proved to myself with the IRS code book that it was a big scam. Um, then that led me to, well, how do they, how can they do this? Because it's basically trafficking and slavery is what they're doing. And they have to have some kind of loophole. So my logical mind just said, okay, if I'm them, you know, what am I going to do? I have to make sure I'm covered, you know, in case the scam uh, doesn't go over too well and found out that, you know, it was in fact by our consent and oh, it's all about contracts and trust agreements. And all of that is really accessible to anybody who wants to pick up, uh, you know, snuggle up to a nice uh, 1200 page uh, UCC code book at night and, and, you know, read it. And, and I did that stuff. I did it cover to cover. I marked the pages, tabbed them, memorized stuff. And wow. then I started challenging uh, IRS and other agencies just to see if, you know, what was going on. And then I started connecting with other uh, kindred spirits in there. And there's a guy by the name of Roger Elvick at the time who I didn't meet personally, but a lot of his, uh, you know, his, uh, um, circles of influence, you know, we all, you know, had mutual friends and things. So we all started comparing notes and over the years, um, you know, it just became more than evident that we were in fact, not just onto something, but this was the truth. And uh, it all emanated from our birth certificate. So it really, you know, um, really dovetailed in with the practice of medicine, as far as I was concerned. Because, uh, you know, I was telling you a little story about how important our attitude and our mental state, our belief systems, our emotional state have to do with our health. Well, how is your body going to mirror health when you believe that you owe allegiance to authorities um, with cheap suits and $25, you know, polyester black robes and, and that you believe that you have to uh, work hard and give up most of your money away to somebody else because they say so, uh, you know, and, and on and on. It's just, and then in the study of homeopathy, I found out that, uh, you know, there's these things called miasms that are these energetic imprints that entire root races of people historically uh, created that persist you know, in the human consciousness to this day. And there were civilizations where similar situations um, uh, involving large groups of people being given the runaround by a small group of tyrants. And these, uh, you know, the larger population did not mobilize their will force sufficiently and draw their line in the sand. So it gave birth to this energetic um, kind of archetype. And and now that carries over. It has to, if you under this, understand the word, uh, the the world of waveform mechanics and fractal holographs and all that kind of stuff we talk about. It has to mirror as above, so below on every single level, including in your biology. So now, if you do not have the ability to draw your line in the sand, then your own biology actually ends up acting out. Uh, normally, insignificant microbial and um, and just microscopic events start, you know, the, the tail starts wagging the dog and you have these processes that normally would be under your direction and they start running the show. And now we call that disease homeopathy. We call the miasm. There's one, uh, one particular miasm we call the cancer miasm. And it's just that exact phenomena. So I believe it all ties together. 
Yeah. You know, and that, that's what I kind of see that like Alpha Vedic is, is it's like, it's all encompassing and that it's all related. Um, what are both of your thoughts on the people in this, you know, truth or movement, health freedom movement, whatever you want to call it, that are trying to petition the system to change that are like begging what I like to say, begging daddy government to change its ways and recognize their freedom. What are your thoughts on that? Mike, I'll let you take that. Oh, you want me to go? No, you go. Well, (laughs) you're in the box still. And if you're in the box within the paradigm they've set, you're still in the prison. You're, you're, you might as well be the prisoner um, rattling the, the cage begging for uh, a five minute respite into the yard so you can uh, hit the weights, you know, it's your in versus actually finding remedy remedy through your own sovereignty. And the way to do that first and foremost is to understand who you really are. Most people, most humans walk, most men and women walking around are children in adult suits and have no concept of who they actually are. So the inner work of course is paramount. And that, of course, is hard to do with all the distractions in modern society that are put on there and put there on purpose. Um, But, yeah, no, the, um, uh, you know, even people and I don't want to call out names here, but really big actors in the world of the health sovereignty freedom movement. It's funny they call them health sovereignty are working within the confines of the system still that is designed to keep them forever entrapped. And it's just it's a cyclical nature of what history shows us that nothing ever changes if you continue to do that. Quote unquote, democracy is just um, uh, free will slavery, right? It's just choosing which slavery you want to be under. So yeah, no, it's, um, we talk about sovereignty in the sense of personal sovereignty uh, in terms of the real law uh, of being a living man or woman. And once you understand how the game's actually played, um, you, you step away from the monopoly board, then you're immediately free and you can, and what bear talks about the waveform mechanics is so important. Um, because you realize that your reality is, is, is you choose your reality and it's so important to understand that. And so if you're going to think that you need to create these remedies inside the box because the soldiers are coming to knock down your door and inject you, then you're living in that paradigm, in that reality that you are creating for yourself. However, if you choose to instead be sovereign and focus on what's important to you, which is the inner work, which is on developing your family life so that you are living a moral life, um, that you are listening to your partners and you are engaging with your kids and that you are becoming sovereign on your food and with, with your energetics and with your health, those, that knock's never going to come to your door. That's how the physics works. So we need to step out of the victimhood and step into the light. And uh, it's very frustrating to see pro- the protests, I think, is cool in some respects because it is inspiring to see people finally starting to wake up, but it's called pro test for a reason, right? They're, the pros are testing you <laughs> to seeing what you're going to do. And I think they actually, they like the protests because it creates, it creates more of the frenetic energy uh, that they feed off, the loose that they, that they yes. feed off. And when I say the, I'm talking about the controlling entities that are the ones keeping the paradigm going. So I'm going off on a couple tangents, but it just shows how holistically how it's all connected. So go, all these protests that we're seeing, you know, what do they do in the end? What do they do? Dude, nothing changes, man. 
nothing changes. Yeah. What does, when do we have change? We have change when people step into their sovereignty in their own lives. And you, there's so many cases of people that have individualized their, that in a way, and their lives are amazing outside the box. And those are the people, what's funny, those are the characters that tend to create the change historically. Massive change typically happens from singular consciousness. Think of all of the innovation that happens in the world. That's happening from a singular consciousness. That's not a group coming together and creating that. And that's how the world works because individualized consciousness is the spirit behind change that I've seen in this world. So I don't know if I totally answered that question the right way. But, no, that was perfect. Um, that's just kind of where I see it. Fair. <laughs> I, I can agree more. I don't know what I could add to that, except, um, you know, there's only one matter of business that each of us face, and that's ourselves. And what anybody else does is none of our business. And, you know, like Mike says, with protesting, um, just don't obey. It's game over. If nobody showed up, to fight wars, if nobody showed up to vote for their clowns on each side of the coin, you know, no matter what they say, and, and it's just, uh, you know, put a suggestion in the or a ballot in the government suggestion box, and they're going to appoint whoever they want anyway. I mean, the, the positive thing I see is that a lot of people are really starting to connect those dots and really participating less. So, um, the way the universe works, it's, it's an energetic thought-based universe. And we are the currency. You know, that's why you go into our money system and so forth. It's all about currency. And currency is energy, just like the currents in the river and the banks hold the current, you know, the <laughs> currency. So as the currency for their monetary system, the currency for everything that we do in this society, if we do not give it our life, it withers and dies. And so what do we want to do? As Mike says, do we want to protest or do we just like Bucky, uh, uh, Buckminster okay. Fuller said, uh, just go create a new widget. You know, you can't fix it within the same box that created the problem. And that's a realization that I'm very heartened to see in the world these days is that light bulb is coming on for a lot of folks. It's yeah. um, it's not a. You, Sorry, and, I didn't mean and, to interrupt. You know, as as it's, it's, it's such an important thing. Like it's it's literally that what you said. Just don't comply. If everyone who is like so angry at the system, justifiably so, if uh, all those people who are petitioning, who are you know contacting their congressmen or writing letters, what have you, if they just all of them all together just agreed with that like universal consciousness, just right now, I'm going to stop doing that. Literally, I'm just going to stop. I'm not going to be belligerent. I'm not going to attack them. I'm not going to be confrontational, hostile. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be compassionate, but I'm just going to take a stand and just say, no, I'm not doing this anymore. It's, it's like that simple. It worked for uh, Gandhi. Yeah. I, I brought up this in the previous podcast because I just watched the Gandhi film for the first time with Ben Kingsley. And, um, and it's interesting. I think the controllers learned a lot from Gandhi. And they learned that that method works because that's what they did. They just said, opt out, opt out, stop doing it. Stop working for the Brits. Stop, just do our own thing. And it worked. And it was the non-aggression principle, right? 
because that stops feeding them the louche that they desire. They want the protests. They want the anger. They want the hate. They want the Alex Jones because that's what seriously. And that's why yeah, Alex yeah. Jones exists. And, Absolutely. But I think they learned, they learned that, wow, we need the devil's trick, right? It's like, we got to make it more tempting. We got to make it more juicy for them to want it. So we got to give them Netflix. We got to give them McDonald's. We got to give them um, NFL sports. And we got to make it so yummy that they will want their slavery and they will then want to get injected. They will they will ask for it, you know? Well, even um, elements of that too, Mike, though, it's like the powers that be give us for those who are awake, but still in the mindset of petitioning for change and getting outraged at what they're doing, which again is justifiable for sure. But when they want us to be focusing our energy and attention on just like how stupid and ridiculous much of this is, which is why they keep doing extremely ridiculous things. Cause then our attention is like, Oh my God, I can't believe what you're doing. Like you're focused on that instead of like, turn your back and go create something better and new. That's actually a viable solution for all people. Yeah. Whatever happened to the rule of attraction or whatever, I really believe that's one of the core tenets and play of the physics. And uh, it's easy to um, forget that because if you are yelling and mad, you're attracting that energy, right. Versus just going and doing your thing and being the quiet guy in your garden all of a sudden you'll start attracting like a neighbor coming over and go, Hey, what are you doing over there? Oh, wow. How are you, how did you get your tomatoes killing it? So, you know, crushing it so hard this summer. Oh, you did that. And then all of a sudden that's the world you're in. And that's why I left Instagram. And I know I've seen you, you know, you know, being <laughs> continually censored on that platform. Dude, Can, can I just share, again. can I share real quick? What just happened yeah. to me? I wanted to share this before we recorded, but I've, I, the whole world knows. So I was, I was removed from Instagram just after health and free man. He was also removed from Instagram, YouTube and Eventbrite in a matter of four days, supposedly unrelated entities all removed us in four days. You can't share our website now on social media at all. Otherwise it's immediately flagged. Then. So I was removed for the seventh time, <laughs> dude, I go to create a new account with a VPN, with a computer that I've never logged on to Instagram before at a new location with a brand new email address. Didn't use a picture of my face or anything like that. Click create the account immediately says your account has been disabled for 30 days upon creation. It gets even wow. weirder though. This is, this is the, this is the creepy part. I took this like a little thing covered up my camera and I usually like, I usually have tape over my camera anyway, but I didn't this time mm -hmm. covered up my camera, did the exact same process and it worked. Yeah, facial recognition. Oh, yeah, they've had that wow. for 15 years. Yeah. And and Facebook's been a big mover and shaker in the facial recognition. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense that that's there. I mean, we know the phones listen to you when you have conversations with people, the ads start popping up. I mean, that's eight and 10 years old. Now I actually think that um, they've got the AI quantitative uh, computing going so much that they're predicting, of course, and they've talked about this, they know based on all these different algorithms and, and activity, what you're going to be thinking. And that's really where they're going, right? They want to, they want to basically have you in the box where they already know what you're going to be thinking, ten, you know, two years before you think it. And that's why I got off Instagram. And in the reason why people, I think, stay on Instagram on the activist circles say, well, that's how we're going to reach new people. Law of attraction, go on telegram, go on decentralized stuff and pull them to you poll marketing and pull them to you and be on a platform so you're not stressing on getting censored. So, and, and you're not feeding them, the, feeding them your energy into the Borg. 
So, you know, it's funny. I had a, um, actually, we're going to have Owen Benjamin on, on AlphaCast this Thursday. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, he's a pretty, that- he's Owen Benjamin. He's a pretty um, divisive character, but awesome. Cause he's, he's the, maybe the most censored man on the internet. He was a stand-up comic who um, really got vocal about certain issues in 2016, 2015. He got kicked off Twitter for um, lambasting a father, pushing trans uh, a kid to be transgendered at like six or something, and oh um, got totally cancel cultured. And now has gone super like homesteading, lives in Idaho, is all about just crushing it and being off all the systems and just doing your own thing. But he was staying on Instagram. And I was like, when I got off on Instagram, I called him out and he's like, you're going to come back. You need it. Like you're feeding off it. Like everybody comes back to Instagram. And I'm like, no, I am done, bro. I am off Instagram because I think it, that's a little trick. That's another way we're opting in because we, our ego wants to be seen. We want to be heard. Right. And we believe that we have to push out to be heard, but I believe we can energetically bring people to us even if we are, you know, on smaller platforms. Um, I mean, we're That's on such YouTube a good point, still, man. because you know, I, that, that is the excuse I made up in my head to continue coming back to Instagram. And to be fair, it has worked. Like we have doctors who are now part of health freedom free Mandy mm-hmm. that, that got the shot. That's okay. But like, they get it. They can see now just because yeah. they constantly saw our message, but you're spot on, especially when it comes to like the understanding that you can attract those people to you. And Dude, when being off of Instagram completely now for the first time in a year, uh, you know, and for the last three days, I've not felt that like tense, like energy that I felt when I was on Instagram or when I open it up and be like, oh my God, who's going to attack me? Am I going to be deleted this time? Like, what are they going to, you know what I mean? There's, that's not there anymore because everyone that's in my Telegram channel gets it. They already know the deal. And then I'm not focusing on calling out the system anymore. Instead, like I found myself yesterday, all I was talking about was like solutions. Cause now I'm with people who already know the deal, like already know what's up and they're looking for solutions. They're not wanting me to talk about like all the stats that I do have on the pharmaceutical industry and stuff like that. Yeah. That's like helpful to a point, but to validate, but it's not actually providing solutions. Yeah. No, a, a drudge, Mike drudge. Is it Matt drudge? I, I do remember him saying a long time ago that they're going to be creating the internet online ghettos uh, where you will be forced to be in their centralized, corporatized um, uh, neighborhood of control, i.e. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and you will have no other place to go. If you want to leave there, um, you will not be heard. And that is what they're what that was, what their strategy has been. But of course, as a fan of decentralization, we say no, um, we're creating decentralized means to create uh, the new internet, which was originally what it was meant to be, which was just people connecting directly and sharing information. Um, and that got co-opted by the internet service providers in the late nineties, early two thousands. Always, it's always a trend towards centralization. Yeah. We're always fighting centralization. So, um, you know, yeah. the- as far as technology, I think the, the most obvious thing that escapes people is that any technology, even these computers we're talking to right now, could not be brought out into a technological form unless, unless they already existed within us. Mm-hmm. So if we're using our cell phones, 
Well, you know, when I was a kid, we had the, uh, you know, the big dial up and you pick up the phone as a party line. Your neighbor was talking. Then you all end up talking together. You know, some of you didn't I thought even that was telegraph. I thought that was telegraph when you were a kid. <laughs> oh, <damn>. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a Renaissance man because I was born in the Renaissance, too, by yeah. the way. <laughs> sorry, Bear. Um, sorry. Bear was once called a wizard. Um, Bear was once called a wizard cowboy, by the way, by a friend of ours. And I thought that was spot on. Dude, that is spot on. <laughs> that is spot like, on. He's a rebel. He's uh he's out outdoors in the farm, and he is a wizard with what he does. So uh, I, I thought that was pretty good. Anyways, Bear, go ahead. Well, thank you. So, you know, we go from the dial-up phones to these little miniature things that we carry and, you know, and all that. And, you know, the next step is to understand that we're actually already connected in a much larger neural network. We don't need these screens. We don't need anything. And we get proof of that all the time because, I live out in the boonies and we have people showing up all the time. And, you know, the, the law of the universe is actually similars attract, uh, not opposites, uh, um, you know, as we're led to believe. And so when you put out thoughts, which are very real electrical events, they are literally going to mate with other thought forms of the like and those, of course, are the precursors of the progenitors of all manifestation without exception. Mm -hmm. So here on the ground, you know, where things are moving a little slower than, you know, the velocity of our thoughts, um, uh, you know, we're all finding each other like magic. People are circling the wagons. Uh, Mike and I have people in our little personal universe now that we didn't know a few months ago. And it's like we've known each other our entire lives. And we have similar interest and the interests are, well, number one, we just want to be left alone. Uh, we want to see the suffering on this planet uh, just disappear because there's never any reason for it in the first time, in the first place. Uh, there's no such thing as lack. We want to disprove that myth as well. And, you know, without uh, the, the Madison Avenue and uh, all the intelligence agencies constantly engramming into our consciousness when we're out there doing our own thing and people are finding themselves through the larger universal network then we find that wow the interests that we have in common is uh really a lot better than what they're telling us we need to do so again it's game over you withdraw your energy you do your own thing and the, the big thing we all have to do is reconnect to nature because nature does it all the time. You know, I walk through the forest where, you know, we're going to enter the rainy season in a couple months. There's going to be mycelium growing everywhere. Those guys are tapped in to not only the larger networks, but with each other. They're talking to each other all the time. There's, there's no sense or such thing as separation. Mm -hmm. So that is our natural state. And one of the things that we have had, we have allowed to have happen is to have ourselves removed from nature and anything authentic, you know, obliterated by this, these artificial technologies, these legal fictions, um, medicine is uh, the last thing, you know, even remotely related to medicine, educational systems, it just completely dumb us down. So we have all the cards in our hand 
And a lot of us are really figuring that out right now. So as we get deplatformed and otherwise, that's that's a, a brilliant thing. And, you know, just to go back and answer your question more completely at the beginning about these legal processes, I'm glad I went down that road because the realizations I got from that were um, important in that I realized, wow, everything really is a lie. It's a big scam. I've never heard one truth in my entire life through official channels. That's just the way it is. You go through the emotional states of, you know, anger and, and disappointment and everything, but you come out the other end, very empowered because you can never be fooled again. And so as far as doing legal processes, now there's a couple things I'm doing that are just going to make my life easier because I really don't have to challenge anybody or go toe to toe with people like I used to. But a lot of the people that are just entering that game now, I tell them, well, you know, study into that stuff because it's very interesting and, and you know, it will help you on certain thought processes in the way you conduct your life in general. But as far as really going in with both feet into any of those processes, I'm not so sure, you know, maybe I'd be buying, you know, buckets of uh, rice and beans and learning how to grow some tomatoes or something. I think that's more important right now. I'll say... Can I say one thing Go on ahead, that? Please, yeah. Because um, I know uh, Alec, you've been involved with the uh, Sovereign Way too, right? Dude, that, that the Law for Mankind course is like life changing, man. Like life changing yeah. stuff. Yeah. And all I was—it's a great say, course. I was going to say is that what's also amazing, besides realizing everything's a lie, is you realize, wow, we are the ones in complete control and power, because we, as a living man or woman, literally the system is set up that we are the ones in control, but they've just hidden that from us. So once we know we're the ones in control and we know how to execute that, then, you know, the world's our, is our oyster. So it's very, very empowering. And it's also a very personalized journey. So anyways. No, with this process though, cause like I hear so many processes on lawful remedy and like status correction, and there's so many different types. Um, in your in, in the mind of both of you, is there anything to stray away from? Like I know that the one that I've come to understand that is there's a big chunk of people in this space who would think that that's the way. It's like a sovereign citizen way, and I'm like, no, that is that is how you get labeled as a domestic terrorist because then you're identifying with that label as a sovereign citizen. They just go in and change like, okay, sovereign citizen means this, and then you're screwed. Is there anything any other like processes that you find to be unhelpful and actually standing as a free man or a free woman? I, I think the status correction can be valuable to a certain extent. Um, uh, before I go further, sovereign citizen is an oxymoron. <laughs> you know, it's it sovereign and citizen are two opposites. So, uh, you know, the controllers paired those two words together just to laugh at us. Oh, you're a sovereign citizen. Well, no, that's impossible. What, what are you even talking about? Um, where was I going with that? Um, the, the, the processes for status correction, I think, should mirror where you're at within your own journey. Now, a uh, long time ago, when I did my first one, my status process uh, correction process was about more, you know, okay, I was really born as a state citizen, not a federal citizen. I'm not a 14th Amendment, you know, slave and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so it reflected that. 
But where I'm at now, and I think where a lot of us are at now, are just understanding on a more fundamental level who we are, which is just I am without any qualification. And that there is uh, international agreements uh, relative to the law of nations and you know, which basically supersedes everything. And they are agreements, even though they're done with some of the boys, you know, at Davos and everything. Um, they still agree to play ball with each other so they can be in the game and not be in, you know, constantly at each other's throats. So they created an ambassador class and all the nations agreed, okay, we leave each other's ambassadors alone. So um, the latest status correction I did was number one, starting off with, well, who I am, I am period. And then it continues from there. And then it goes into international law and uh, allows uh, you, I, or anybody to become part of that ambassador class. And you are at that point, an ambassador of peace. Uh, you know, you have, you are not about any kind of political allegiance or otherwise. Um, you are simply in that protected species of international ambassadors that are endeavoring to bring peace amongst nations. And as far as my individual status, I am, period. It's interesting because it, it, the, the controllers are so good at inverting everything, right? So they've, they've pushed quote unquote globalism so that truthers want to go back to nationalism or go back, and there's a lot of strength to that, of course, and that was all Trump's big platform. However, what that ends up doing is separating, right? Yeah, Separation, true. getting people back into tribes, where we all know in the end, if you're a truly spiritual person, which we know you are, Alec, because we talked a lot about the law of one and stuff, we're all one. Yeah. And so we should all be moving towards global peace and becoming together as global um, living men and women on the plane together. Isn't that so nefarious too, though, Mike? Because now, because like, just like you said, the whole truther movement is really big on nationalism. So now many of us who are preaching messages of unity consciousness, that is completely different one than what like the, the NWO, the great reset, the build back better yeah. buddies, as I like to call them, like what they're talking about. But now a lot of the truther movement thinks that, Oh, you guys are just agents for the NWO. Cause you're talking about universal consciousness and one Luciferian. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we get it all the time. Well, I know. Go ahead, Bear. <laughs> just, just like it's important for every individual to recognize himself as an individualization of the creator. Um, it's also important for every nation to have the freedom to develop its national identity. And then uh, from a place of empowerment that that brings then the nations can come together and act in a peaceful coordination, just like a lot of us who are in the movement of, you know, the realization of the work we have to do as individuals. Uh, but we, in that mindset, it's easier for us to cooperate with each other, come together and find commonality. So of course it's been co-opted into this globalistic Borg kind of um, you know, thing that we're seeing today. Yeah. How does go ahead, Mike? Go ahead. I was just gonna say it's top down, right? So obviously they're they call it globalism, but it's not globalism. It's elitism or it's uh, corporatism, whatever you want to call it. It's like you know six people running the world. 
So um, it's definitely not globalism. Globalism actually be everybody working together. Uh, in, well, and of course the flat earthers would say globalism is intentionally put out there too. Um, but but my the point is right. It's it's just they trick they they move they mess with all the words and they invert them and they they change the definition so that everybody's confused and we're living in in Babel. It's the Tower of Babel. Right. It's where everybody's doesn't know how to communicate with each other because we don't even the, the definitions of the very words we're using are off. Yeah. And like the, the meaning of words is so important, like the etymology, like how they know that and we don't. Right. Like we don't know fundamentally what each word means and how it's used against us. The, the question that I have that I think about pretty often is. This sort of relates to karma and how like how is it that it's so easy in a sense relatively like that, that when we understand who and what we are as a man or a woman, there's really nothing that the powers that be or the supposed powers that be can do to us. And when you come to understanding, it's like, how is it that simple? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on like, do you think that there are karmic implications for the nefarious actors at the very top where they actually do require our either expressed or implied consent, or they manipulate us to give our consent? that they can't really, for the most part, without, uh, you know, bringing in some really bad karmic debt, uh, infringe upon our will without our consenting in the process. You want to start with this one, Bear? Well, okay. I'll uh, keep it short. Yeah, there's absolute karmic implications. They know it better than anybody else which is why they go to great lengths in order to um, get our consent either overtly or implied. And, you know, they'll uh, notice us of everything. They'll notice us about geoengineering, uh, doing biological experiments in the sky on the populations. And it'll, you know, be buried, uh, you know, on page, you know, 20,000 of some bill or some obscure um, journal out of the state of Utah or something. And, you know, they say, well, you know, we put it out in the public. And uh, then, of course, every time we sign our signature instead of our autograph and uh, agree to the terms and conditions, you know, who, who reads that stuff, and every time we open up a bank account, get a driver's license, every time we ask for permission, basically, we are consenting so they can do whatever the heck they want to, they feel, as their get out of karma free card. But, you know, it, of course, really doesn't work that way because karma is really about morality and, you know, deceiving somebody by sleight of hand is, is really immoral from where I stand. And um, also by their own laws of contract, unless there is a meeting of the minds and complete disclosure and both uh, parties, you know, uh, offering their signature and having some skin in the game, then that's really not a contract. So, we have been defrauded. They've done a very cursory attempt at uh, rationalizing their actions, you know, by saying, well, we got your consent, but, you know, not by a long shot. And then you have to understand that these people are in way too deep. Uh, they have so far gone down one path that they have lost their tether 
with uh, with not only the essence of their soul, but um, with um, with just the ability to connect with their heart, which of course is the real creative power that each one of us possess. So they need us because they can't do that anymore. That's why a lot of these controllers are very non-creative types. They might be brilliant or shrewd in some calculating kind of manner, but as far as being authentic or coming up with anything new on their own, that's why they have to go raid the patent office and steal all of our ideas. And, you know, so that's the situation we're in. On one hand, they know darn well they need us because they'll wither and die without us because they can't do anything on their own anymore. And then at the same time, they resent us for that exact fact. So it's a very interesting situation. And they also know that if they back off, then they're facing Nuremberg type uh, trials and that they are all going to be facing the ultimate penalty. So they, they, they're not going to back down. They can't back down. That's where we're at now. Go ahead, Mike. Well, you, you pretty much summed it up perfectly right there. I was just going to say it's kind of a karmic uh, Ponzi scheme. Just talk about as above, so below. Everything they do in terms of the economics, and especially that's the easiest way to see it, is that, and if whether you believe in reincarnation or not, um, they know that they have to keep pushing this agenda forward because if they let it stop, then the game's over. They are stuck here. We continue on in our spiritual evolution and the parasites can't live off us anymore. Mm -hmm. So they have to keep building it and keep pushing it and keep creating the fear and keep tricking us into, into feeding them. Because as soon as, as soon as we realize, wait, oh, we're not going to get that money that we're putting in because we're just, what we're getting is just from other people, from other energy, because this predator class or whatever you want to call them is actually feeding off us, then it's game over. So it is like a huge karmic Ponzi scheme because the service to self agenda, which is what they've taken up, which is related to bloodlines, which some would say it's the son of Cain, however you want to get into it esoterically, um, it is that it's a Ponzi scheme. And we're seeing, I personally believe we're seeing it now unfolding and, and falling and collapsing. And Bear is so correct. They can't initiate the electrical stimulus of, of creative thought to create or build anything new. Hmm. That's why they always have to take from, from us that we have the connection, the tether to the creative divine by so that we can bring stuff in and, and, and any creative thought you've ever had alec maybe you can relate to this it seems to just come out of nowhere Dude. right and just come yes. to you yes. right it, whether you call that your higher self or source or whatever i personally believe they can't tap into that mm -hmm. so they are relied upon us so yeah it's a big ponzi scheme and i think as bear kind of mentioned earlier the internet is like the caveman version of the unity consciousness and that's why they're doing everything to censor it and centralize it. But we will move beyond the digital realm. I believe analog is the future. Crystal tech, um, tech using biogeometry and going into our, some would say it our DNA activation or whatnot. But there you go. There you go. And, and we will become psychic 
magnificent, magnificent um, beings that we were before. We've forgotten through the great amnesia. Yeah, there. All right. <laughs> and there you go. And uh, and then the game's over because we'll. Be, and I think that's it. I think that's to do with moving to the age of Aquarius and everything going on, like we touched on on our Alpha Cast with you. So, what's the takeaway? Exciting times right now for those yeah. who see it. Very real, real quick, I know you got to. I know you got to go, Mike, soon. But uh, well, the wanted, kids aren't back yet. We're good. Right okay, now. good. I, I want to touch on, on uh, with regards to decentralization. I want to touch on cryptocurrency a bit because oh, yeah. I think this is a space that could prove to really help millions and millions and millions of people like disconnect from the system. I, I will preface this by saying though, there are a lot of people who are very sketched out by cryptocurrency and. My response to that is don't throw the baby out of the bathwater because yes, some maybe some of these larger coins, yes, they're they're sketchy, created by the so-called uh, deep state, if you will, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. What what is your thoughts on cryptocurrency and its role in getting us out of the grips of these these corrupt systems? Yeah, Catherine Austin Fitz is maybe one of the most known, um, you know, critics of crypto and saying that it's all part of the plan to co-opt and control the monetary system. And then her and Allison McDowell, Allison McDowell. And I've, I, I talked briefly with uh, Catherine who I have a massive respect for. I believe she's a brilliant mind and is an amazing researcher and knows what's up. I just think she needs a little bit more education on um, the technology and the theoretics behind it. Because I do, I do agree. I believe 99% of the quote unquote coins out there and the projects out there are co-opted, centralized, corporatized junk. Um, we have to go back to the original inspiration that was Bitcoin to understand why it is such an innovative, empowering technology. Because what it does is it allows for real decentralization of currency, of our energy in a way that will be for the future uh, age of Aquarius, the era age, or whatever we want to call it, that will allow us to be more mobile and have salient uh, uh, wealth that won't be reliant so upon the physical, like gold is. I'm a huge fan of gold, by the way. They call it God's money, right? Gold and silver. Huge, huge fan because that it's tapped into a hard resource, right? That's deflationary. And Bitcoin was developed to be that way too. Um, I am, a, in a way, a Bitcoin maximalist because of that. I believe almost every other coin has in, inherent flaws because they were centrally created. They're either pre-mined, which just means the people who came up with the coin, like Ethereum, they had to create all the coin first. We're not necessarily Ethereum, but a lot of the uh, proof of stake, they call proof of stake coins. I'm trying to not get too technical here. But a lot of the big projects that are, quote unquote, proof of stake, which were developed to uh, be more ecologically friendly and supposedly more um, uh, fair, we're all just like the Fed pre-printed the money, pre-printed the coins and thus are manipulated and are centralized. So I think we have to understand the theoretics of what a blockchain is and what decentralization can do and then move forward in projects that are revolutionary in defi uh, de uh, defying all traditional principles of markets of way companies should be run, should be structured, the idea of what a corporation is, um, the idea of what open source is, what collaboration is, what cooperation is. These are all the things that create a community-based commerce, right? Or a holistic economy, which is what the talk I did at the first Music in Sky. And Bitcoin is one of the only ones, also Cordal, a project that we're involved with, I truly believe is hitting a lot of that over the head because there is no corporation behind it. There was nothing pre-mined. 
Um, th that's really central too. If you look at almost every single crypto out there, there's a corporation that is registered yeah. that is has founders and CEOs and all this stuff. And then they're on centralized markets where it's just the gambling game again. It's Wall Street 2.0. Um, so I actually am 95% agreement with Catherine and Allison. However, they're missing two very fundamental aspects, which is what an actual decentralized blockchain can do or decentralized cryptocurrency can do if it's done correctly. And then two, the collaborative etheric nature of what money can be mm -hmm. uh, versus something that's still hard. That's still something that goes back to, to greed, that goes back to stripping resources out of the planet. That goes back to this old, you know, this older hard money. I believe we can create better new hard money, which is what mm. Bitcoin was trying to do, which is more spiritual, which is more etheric, which is more based on the soul. So um, it gets trippy. It gets kind of out there. And, uh, and most crypto people are, are actually normies. I hate to say it. They're most they're They believe in the virus. They believe in Wall. You know, they, they might counter Wall Street, but they, they're traitors. They're talking Dude, about it's not it's not only believe in the virus. It's believe in everything COVID related yeah. and thinking yeah. that anyone who opposes the vaccine is like exactly. Know, yeah, it's Wall Street 2.0. And so, yeah, these are important questions to have. And um, I'd love to do a whole show with you or on even the way for uh, excuse me, on uh, health, freedom for humanity, because on crypto, because very, very few people, I believe, are touching on these points in the appropriate way, looking towards the future and what crypto can do, because I think it is part of the future, along with biogeometry, along with bioterrain medicine, along with, um, of course, the thing everyone talks about, which is um, free free energy if nothing's free but you know what i'm saying regenerative yeah. energy getting off fossil fuels all that so um yeah it's a it's an exciting time for delving deeper into these subjects for sure bear do you have any comments on that and well i was gonna ask mike you know uh he's uh he can talk better than i can on it but you know currency being um conflated with uh with a value um, what, what did you call the, what was your term you used to use, Mike? Um, well, I had, we developed a project with, uh, with proof of experience. Maybe that's what you're talking about. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so, so basically I think, uh, you know, nature is the original crypto. Yes. Uh, for instance, I have a working farm now and it's all about the value you put in. That's what you get back. In fact, you get a lot more back. So I think when the currency system, uh, I'm not trying to put words in Mike's mouth, but I think an authentic crypto system is going to mimic nature. And folks aren't going to be penalized if they don't own crypto, but you're definitely going to get more back the more you put into it. And the law of the universe is that it's a two-way hydraulic system that you know, takes informational fields to create manifestation and it gives in both direction. There's no, there's no um, such thing as taking. Mm. So as a farmer, you know, you're constantly giving your life energy and then nature gives back. Uh, if anybody can figure out a crypto system, which I believe is absolutely possible to create that mimics that, I'm on board. Yeah, that was what we were trying to do with Karma Ship, which I believe we're still going to try to do with Manifest X, 
which is um which is manifestation like you're saying which is built on abundance not scarcity and it's built on giving so the idea with proof of experience is you're using that as the centralized or the decentralized protocol where the value metric is based on what you're giving through your experiences and we figured out ways to use a blockchain to do that where you can create a giving marketplace and it ties into like uh, Charles Eisenstein's. Um, I don't know if you've read it's, his yeah, book. Yeah, it's, it's called on, the, uh, the uh, Sacred Economics. Yeah, it's Sacred Economics. Concept. It's going back to the, it's something, a type of economy. It's the uh, gift economy, gift economy. Gift economy. Yeah. Yeah. And basically bears right on. It's like we live in an abundant realm based upon uh, the, our ability to be imaginative, creative um, beings, right? And the world gives back in abundance when you give yourself. Um, it's like goes back to Wallace B. Waddle's uh, uh, famous book. Now I don't know if you've ever heard of this book, Alec. Um, uh, the Science of Getting Rich, turn of the century, early 1900s. And there's the whole science of abundance. Also, bear. What was the other book you mentioned in the 70s or 60s? Napoleon Hill. Yeah, exactly. Say, Say that it again, one more time Napoleon. so the listeners could hear. What was it? Napoleon Hill. Okay, got it. Napoleon Hill was another, and this is um, think this, and grow rich. Th think and grow rich. This is the science of manifestation, which is what our quote unquote currency or our ability to transact with each other should uh, be based on, not based upon scarcity, not based upon, and that's even there's issues with with Bitcoin because of that. It's still based on these old models of what money is, and it what it does is it leads to those that know how to manipulate it that have a lot. And that those that don't know how to become are living in scarcity. And so this realm is we're all creative forces, but we all need to put out the effort. That's why UBI, universal basic income, is an inversion once yeah. again of that. It's very damaging because it is against natural law, universal cosmic law. It is the inversion that is tricking people back into slavery. So, um, you know, a lot of great and spiritual teachers on the East, they say, are, we are here to work to do work, right? Before Zen, do the laundry. And, uh, and the Napoleon Hills of the world, uh, Walter Russell's, they all were tapped in on that very basic spiritual understanding that whatever your mind is on, wherever your thoughts reside, that is basically what's going to manifest in your world. You know, uh, Napoleon Hill was famous for creating this process uh, for business people. It's called a mastermind group, or it didn't even have to be business, just anybody that want to manifest anything. And so you would come together with people and in this mastermind group, you would put out in very formalized, um, specific ways what you want to manifest. Mm -hmm. And it was all about what you want, not what you don't want. Now, fast forward today, and we're all programmed to sit around and wring our hands about what we don't want. And, you know, I challenge anybody to start a successful business and have every board meeting where we're sitting around saying, man, how are we going to not go broke? You know, it's, <laughs> it's not going to end up very well. And uh, that's the way we do things. You know, business is about accountants and how do we not lose money? How do we not have the IRS take it away from us? Um, there's only so much, uh, you know, I have to settle for a job. And so, of course, we have been inverted in our into our uh, alternate uh, state of lack, which is not real. 
and we have all the ability to do anything we want at any time including changing the world right now you know most of the world is waiting for the other shoe to drop and uh you know mike and i are share common circles here and the people in our world are having kind of a good time we talk about the world we shake our heads you know and say wow this is amazing it got this far but we're doing very well. We're manifesting exactly what we want and we have fun. And anybody can do that anytime they want. And the nice, the, the, the greatest bonus is not only are we deriving benefit with that mindset, but we're also creating things that will benefit others at the same time. That's just the way it works. Yeah. I would say one, one issue with the, uh a lot of the uh, quote unquote awake or truther circle, especially on the prepper side. And it's important to be pra practical and pragmatic, of course, but you get stuck thinking on what you need and not what you want. Mm. And that's based on scarcity and fear. And so when you're prepping all day and you're worried about what you need because the world's going to end and versus going out and living your life on what you want, you're never going to manifest your life in, in a way that will be enjoying, you know, that is why you're here, right? Why you come here in the first place, right? So super important to have balance, of course. Um, and it all comes down to health again. And, and you know, it's funny before this whole debacle with the pandemic or whatever you want to call it, scamdemic, you know, um, that's mostly what we were talking about a lot on AlphaCast. And what I was talking about in the community was like journaling and ice baths and like personal, um, you know, um, improving your life personally and your creative endeavors, um, getting involved with different fun hobbies and really working on yourself. It's a very stoic, stoic mindset, right? Yeah. That's why I love stoicism. Um, and then we, I mean, we were guilty of it. We, because of the world events, we started doing a lot of podcasts on germ theory and on, um, on what the virus really is or not. And I think that's really important. I think education is extremely important, but I think this year we, we said, it, uh, what beginning of the year bear, we're really going to focus on solutions and people that are doing really awesome stuff. And I think it's, I um, that. been a really fun year of podcasts. And we have more. We have, uh, well, Owen Benjamin this week, he talks about farming in mostly now. And and then we've got a guy coming on who's uh, the, Mitch, the organ donor, who's all about creating organite and is all about bringing uh, re um, uh, wilding or uh, the deserts, bringing water back to the deserts and creating lush. With uh, organite, places. right? With organite. Because Wilhelm yeah. Reich said deserts are not natural places. And he was actually bringing, and Bear knows this, he was actually bringing water and stuff back and he was re-greening the deserts wow. with organite. Um, and then of course, we're bringing on other folks talking about the true nature of water. Um, I, I, I do wanna go into a biogeometry alpha cast and that's inspiring and exciting. And it's it's really what, where we all need to be going right now because the other world that we're all worried about and it's hard not to be, that'll slough off like a scab, right? Yeah. And that'll just become a scar. And then all of a sudden, you know, like with my kids running around, they're mostly talking about like our Organite project right now and making jokes about um, the commercials they see. Like they were just making cancer jokes about it at McDonald's today. And it's like, guys, okay, take it down a notch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, it's fun. Like Bear said, let's have fun, man. 
I love you guys. Talking with you is so good because it's it's all it's always a good conversation. So I have I have two more questions that I ask everyone. I'll love to hear your answers on it. So the first one is, and I'll, I'll I'd like to hear from each of you, is why are we here? What is the purpose of this reality? What is the purpose of this incarnation? This experience? Um. At the risk of sounding new agey, I will say we are here to ascend. And ascension is, um, you know, been relegated to one historical figure. And his words have been twisted, you know, for centuries in order, again, to make us feel bad about ourselves and also forget some of his statements, such as, and greater things ye shall do also. So the ascension process is uh, really about just raising your energy. And, you know, um, if we read the Bible correctly or any of the omitted scriptures, which uh, greatly outnumber what made it into the, you know, what's considered the Bible, it's a very exact formula book on physics, and it's about rebuilding the temple. You know, all this stuff, uh, the, the stuff, all the masons and the rebuilding the temple of Solomon. It's all about our body. The whole Bible is a formula book on how to build your body. And just like we're talking about, well, there's no lack. And even in naturopathic circles, we're constantly trying to purge the body and get rid of what we don't want and everything. Well, when you go back to the original formula, if the body has the building blocks, which the original Masons had, you know, the formulas, then we would give ourselves those things that we need to have a proper uh, and robust um, body or temple. Now, when that temple is complete, then our mind, our thought processes are aligned with the sky clock. And the sky clock is nothing more than angulations that create resonance. And just like you notice, there's a different quality to that time of day we call noon versus maybe midnight. It's all about the angulations that create a resonance and a whole different experience. Mm. So when our temple is in order, when we're talking about what do you need in understanding that formula to build the temple so it's able to perceive in those bandwidths, then um, all of those other things that clog up our central column with lower toxic emotions and fears and you know all the things that keep us in a more animalistic state, the energy now has a tendency or just not a tendency, but um, you can't stop it when there's no in, in, in impedance and it just rises. And when that happens and there's a clear column of energy unimpeded with our higher brain centers, then hormonal events happen that um, activate otherwise dormant parts of our receiver, our brain, and we pick up even greater bandwidth of perception, which we call enlightenment. And then just like the Shin masters, 
who maybe you watch one walking through a wall. You know, we hear all the stories about the Shaolin monks and things. Well, those are actually true. And I've actually witnessed some interesting things myself. Like rainbow bodies, right? Yeah. But they aren't walking through a wall. They understand this is a moment by moment projection. And Walter Russell uh, explained it very thoroughly in a matter of physics. But when you get back to the Shen master walking through the wall, he is simply projecting the next frame of his movie on the other side of the wall. And for us bystanders, <laughs> it looked like he just walked through the damn thing. And uh, so that is when you get to that realization, uh, you know, the great famous statement of the Nazarene, which is be in the world, but not of it. So the ascension is no longer being beholden to the flesh and being literally the only authority in your world, once again, as the creator intended, that is the ascension process. That, in my opinion, is what we're here to do. And there is nothing else that matters. And all of our experience is bringing us to that one singularity. Damn, Damn. that was beautiful. How am I going to follow that? <laughs> I could ask you the last one instead, then, if you want to. I'll, I'll, like I'll do a quick answer. Please do. Basically please do. what he said, but yeah, be the greatest hero in our journey, right? Be the greatest hero in our movie. I'm a big movie fan still, even though Hollywood sucks, but there's still, you know, good films. Um, watch a lot of old films, but uh, yeah. Uh, and, and of course, huge fan of the novel. And, but be the greatest hero in your journey and level up, you know, based on the Ascension idea, you know, we're here to level up yeah. by being the greatest hero, which means being moral, you know, which means striving to go to the greatest yards to be a great person and to affect others and inspire and to challenge ourselves and to live life passionately and wake up excited every day. I'm here, I'm here to do it. Because if you don't, when you're gone, you're gonna go back and you go, wow, I didn't really, kick ass that time and i'm gonna go back and try again so kick ass now damn that was good too that was really good <laughs> um i'll ask you the last one then first mike and then i'll have i'll have bear follow-up so complete hypothetical especially speaking of people like us this would probably not happen at least not today imagine a news reporter came up to you put a microphone in your face and said what message do you need to share with the world? This is going to be shared on primetime TV all over the world. The masses are going to see this. It's going to go throughout the entire globe. Everyone will see it. What do you have to say? What, what does the world need to hear right now? Wow. Everyone has the same reaction. Um, I would say that um, you, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many things, right? I guess bare bones, just say, um, guys, you create your own reality with your thoughts, wake up tomorrow and start writing those on paper, really what you want to see. And in a month's time, you will start to see them manifesting. Don't, and turn off the news. Stop listening to this guy. That was good. Yeah. There. I would say 100% um, of what you believe to be true is in fact not true because that would lead people to their own life process, their own investigative journey. And uh, 
you know, everybody gets there in different ways, but everybody gets there. But the first thing you have to understand is that uh, everything we believe is, is in fact false. Everything, no exception. Even us looking at each other right now, it's not real. <laughs> it's not what we think it is. And when you know what it is, then you know who you are. I love that, especially because uh, one of my one of my mentors, Garrett Kramer, he always says that belief implies conditioning. So if you have to believe it rather than know it internally, then it's probably not true. Mm -hmm. I love that. So, fellas, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure talking with both of you. Um, where can people find uh, all of your work? Obviously, not on Instagram anymore, Mike. So, where can people find you guys to follow along with you? Yeah, uh, the best place is join us on Telegram. Uh, we have a very vibrant community at t.me forward slash alpha Vedic. Uh, that's A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C. Uh, and alphavedic.com has all our links where you can find us. Um, yeah, I've totally like given up on all social media, man. So I just pretty much I'm alpha warrior uh, on uh, Telegram and also on we're on Discord, alphavedic.com forward slash Discord. I am on MeWe, but um, I really haven't used that much. And then uh, hopefully, well, I know it's going to, going back to what we're talking about, as we create the new Cordal platform, we will have, we have court, we have the Cordal chat, QChat. I'm on there as Alpha Vedic. And that is like a full decent, fully decentralized Telegram type system. Wow. So as more people get on there and Sayer G is a huge fan of that. He's been a really big supporter of us. Um, uh, I'm, I'm alpha Vedic on there. Um, and so check that out and that's cordal.org, Q O R T A L.org and bear Lando. Are you on Facebook these days still, or where, where can people find you? Is it best place telegram or just uh, send you a, a pigeon? Um, no, you can't find me. Yeah, I know. That's, that's it. That's it. That's all everyone needs to know. You can't find bear. This is it. You heard him speak here. Maybe you search He's his on name. Our, on some he is on our, our telegram. So um, he drops uh, a, a daily decree on our telegram, which has become massively uh, popular. So these really empowering decrees. Uh, and, um, and then of course, if you wanted to look into supporting us more, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash alpha Vedic. And we do have an executive membership where we do monthly uh, Zoom meetings where you would be able to talk to Bear through the at the Zoom meeting, uh, which are really fun and cool. What a cool crowd in there, man. So, um, but yeah, uh, that or um, eventually down the line, we'll have an education center on the land. Um, we do have a pretty big waiting list right now um, for that, but the plan is to do different educational um, activities there. Uh, based around bears, scientific uh, and agricultural. Damn, we um, didn't even get into that. So, we got to do a part two. So, uh, yeah, lots going on. We got to do we a part have, two. Hey, we, we have a little documentary that. coming out on David Icke's platform too. So you guys will be able to see that. I think the edit just wrapped up yesterday. So it'll be part one of three. And we are, we are going to see the rough cut tonight. Nice. Fun. Nice. All right, fellas, much love to you. Thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks, Alec. Alec you rock, you man. Hey, I just want to say this. You're such an inspiration, too, from what you do and where you come from and what you've created. You are really living the talk. And much love to you, brother. And I, I'm just uh, 
I count my blessings that I know you. So keep doing what you're doing, man. You're, you're a massive inspiration and your mom too. So Thank thanks. you both. That's so kind. Thank you guys. Thank you.